I'd like to talk to you for, for a short time this afternoon on Romans chapter 13 and verse number 14 where the, the base idea of the text and uh, it's the second half really of that scripture there where it says make no provision for the flesh and I'm paraphrasing there um, and so I want to talk about this verse. I, I heard a lesson from uh, many of you know Jackson Lindgren at Plainview uh, gave a lesson and mentioned this verse in it and made a couple comments about it that I really liked and so I decided to, uh, that and for a couple other reasons, uh, and I'll tell you about those later, I thought that was kind of a cool idea and so built a sermon around it. Uh, there's going to be one scripture that we've got this afternoon that we won't have on, on PowerPoint and so you'll need your Bible for that. And when we get there, it'll be Proverbs chapter 7. Uh, but that'll be a few verses down. <clears throat> And so for, the, for this afternoon, I don't have any great outline. I don't have five, five main points that go along with this scripture or anything like that. But I've got some thoughts that go along with it. And then whenever we finish up our sermon, we'll, we'll finish up there at Romans chapter 13 and verse number 14. And so if you don't know what that scripture says, then you'll have to wait till the end of the sermon this afternoon. So in life, we, we deal with temptation all the time. It's, it's a human nature thing. Uh, we're not going to read verses that, that talk about the nature of sin necessarily um, beyond kind of this verse here in, in James. Um, but we understand that it's, it's human nature that, that we have temptations, that we deal with sin. And Brother Brandon talked about temptation a month or five weeks ago. And so I'm kind of piggybacking on his sermon just a little bit as well. But I want you for just a moment to think about a problem in your life uh, that, that is a sin in nature that's a sinful problem that you deal with and when I say that I don't want you to go well I don't deal with any bad problems all the time so you know that doesn't have to do with me but really it could be any any level in which sin is in your life and we all have sin in our life to some to some degree and so whenever we read verses and we talk about temptation we talk about sin it's easy to sit there and go well yeah but I mean you're talking about some bad you know addictions and and bad problems that people deal with, the kind of problems that will destroy a home or destroy a family or destroy your life, at the end of the day, that's sin. Any, any amount of sin and any sin that you have is a sin that can, can destroy your life and can destroy uh, potentially uh, your family and everything around you. And so for, for you, that, that could be some, it could be some addiction or some uh, problem that you've dealt with for many, many long years. And I want you to think about that through the lens of, of our study today. Your problem may be something that people don't see and, and never know about. It may be a problem that uh, mom and dad don't know about. It may be a problem that your children don't know about and that your best friend doesn't know about. Um, and nonetheless, that's, that's a problem that, that Jesus can help you with. Your problem may be one that the very people here in this room would look at and go, oh, that's not a big deal. And as much as we wouldn't like to admit it, that's something that we do all the time. Uh, we, we take a sin, and, and for example, today, I'm, uh, maybe gossip. And you go, well, you know, some, I got a problem with gossip. I like to hear stuff. I like to tell stuff. And at the end of the day, it's sin. At the end of the day, is that any worse than, than some awful addiction? And so I want you to think about these problems uh, no matter what. And I think Romans chapter 13 and verse number 14, and when we get to it, you'll see, is a verse that can help you with, with your sin problem no matter what that sin is in your life and no matter what level 
of, of entanglement you have in that sin. And I'm not so sure that it's not the greatest deterrent to sin that we find in the scriptures, regardless of what Britt said. He told me, I asked him today, I said, what's the greatest deterrent to sin? He said, sleep. <laughs> you can't sin if you're asleep. Well, okay, it's the second greatest one behind being asleep. <clears throat> in James chapter 1 and verse number 14, it says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And so we read this a lot of times, and when we get it as a baseline for temptation, to understand temptation, what temptation is. Every man is tempted. It's lust and it's enticement that we read about. But I want to look at a small phrase there that we see here in, in, this, uh, in this verse where it says, every man is tempted when he is drawn away. What does it mean to be drawn away? Because whether we like it or not, we're going to be tempted when we're drawn away. So what does that mean? That comes from a, a Greek word that we see there, uh, Greek 1828. And a couple of the definitions or words that you're going to see there from that meeting mean to drag forth and then just as the scripture says, to entice. Every man is tempted when he is dragged forth or whenever he's enticed. Whenever he sees something that he wants. Whenever he sees something that he desires. We understand kind of what this word means. Um, but on a, on a deeper level, I think drag is, is kind of strong. And we see that it comes from this root word, Greek 1670. Uh, because this, this phrase right here, drawn away, only occurs once in the entire New Testament. And it's right here in James chapter 1, verse number 14. And so to get a better idea of what it means, we look at this root word... And what we see there is an example in John chapter 6 and verse number 44. I found this pretty cool. Where Jesus says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent, him, sent me rather, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus says, If you want to come to me, if you want to be with Jesus, then God has to draw you. Has anybody ever felt drawn by God? Has anyone ever felt dragged by God? I don't, I don't know that I've felt dragged by God. There's definitely some times when my conscience has, has uh, alerted me and I've felt compelled to change my, my actions or to change my life, but I don't know that I've felt dragged. And furthermore, if, if that's the best way to define draw him or to be drawn, as it, drawn away as it says there in James, uh, then that kind of takes away from the, the realness of sin, like it's not our, in our control. I'm not trying to say that the Greek word here is wrong, don't, don't get me wrong, but there's some other possible explanations and, and possible definitions for that. And so how are we drawn of God? You know, a man is drawn of God whenever he desires God, whenever he wants God. And that's how God draws us, through, through our desires. And that's the exact same that we're drawn, the exact same way that we're drawn if we look in James chapter 1 and verse number 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. It, in James, the, the text there says that a man is drawn away of his own lust. A man is not dragged by Satan himself. Whenever we're tempted, it's, it may be Satan that's behind that temptation, but it's not Satan that pulls you into that and goes, I got you, and now there's nothing you can do about it, and here you are, you've committed this sin. It says that a man is drawn away of his own lusts. 
what does the dragging, and when, when it makes sense for uh, the word drawn away to mean the word drag, is we're doing, the, we're doing the dragging ourselves. Whenever we're tempted and drawn or dragged to sin, it's our own lust and it's our own desires that do that dragging. You know, whenever I think of dragging, I, I think of back to like the 1800s when they'll tie a man up by his legs and drag him behind a horse and how that man has no control and that's what we do to ourselves. At the end of the day, Satan can tempt us, but we drag ourselves to sin whenever we see that sin and we want that sin. But I think the best way to understand what it means to be drawn away or to be uh, drawn to God is to ask the simple question, what do you take delight in? what entices what what is what is what you take the greatest delights in and so if you take delight in a specific sin whatever that may be then you're going to be drawn by that you can allow it to drag you it's wherever you take delight and that really opened my eyes to some things that I may commit this sin I may be tempted and then commit that sin and I don't like that but at the end of the day that was what I took, I decided that I wanted to take delight in and take joy in. Do I take joy in God or do I take joy in this temptation that I see? It's as simple as some of our favorite things or favorite hobbies uh, that, we, that we enjoy here uh, on earth. You know, if I were to set at the back a really nice handmade knife, then... At the end of services, I have a feeling that Matt would find his way over there and admire this nice handmade knife because he takes delight in that. It's something he enjoys. And it's going to almost be like that thing's just dragging him, but it's his desire. He wants it. He's going to go look at it. And if I drove a classic car into the parking lot, David would want to go look at that car. And if we filled the garbage can up with garbage, Josh would be dragged back there because he likes OU. You see? We're drawn by what we take delight in. And that's proven once again by Jesus in Matthew chapter, uh, rather Luke, chapter 12, verse number 34, where Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And he wraps, he wraps that up right there in that verse. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's not God that drags us to God. It's not... Satan that drags us to sin while they play a role don't get me wrong but we do the dragging when we're dragged forth by temptation it's our own desires that do the dragging when we're dragged forth to God it's our desires that drag us to him and that lead us to God alright let's read Proverbs chapter 7 And let's start in verse number 7, and we'll read 15 or 20 verses here. It says, And beheld, among the simple ones I discerned, among the youths a young man void of understanding, passing through the street near her corner, and he went the way to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark of night, and, behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart. She is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Now is she without, now in the streets, and lieth in wait at every corner. 
So she caught him and kissed him, and with an impudent face said unto him, I have peace offerings with me. This day have I paid my vows. Therefore came I forth to meet thee, diligently to seek thy face, and I have found thee. I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, with carved works, with fine linen of Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves. For the good man is not at home, he has gone a long journey. He hath taken a bag of money with him, and will come home at the day appointed. With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. He goeth after her straightway, as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stalks, till a dart strike through his liver, as a bird hasteth to the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways, go not astray in her paths. For she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. We've read this a lot, and it, it ties in really well with, with our text in Romans chapter 13. And we read this all the time, and we go, don't, don't go that way. Don't go over there. You need to go over here. If you're going to go home, you need to go home this way. You know there's that temptation. You know it's going to be difficult. And if I had to imagine, I, I think I know exactly how this young man felt whenever he came to himself or you know, if he came to himself and once he realized what he had done and once he realized that he had sinned against God, I imagine we probably all know what that feels like. When you messed up again, when you did what you knew you weren't supposed to do, the one thing you didn't want to do and you did it. And if, if I had to guess, this man felt ashamed, and he felt guilty, and he felt awful about it. And if he had one wish, it would be that, that he could never commit that sin again. Whether it be what is described here, uh, obviously, a, a fornication or adultery or whatever you want to call that, or, or whatever that may be for your specific situation today, whether anywhere from there to gossip to murder and anywhere in between but we see that this woman has some pretty good some pretty good arguments to make and right now as we think about it and usually whenever we're reading this scripture and we're looking at the at the the text here we think man I mean she got him with with those lines that's crazy and whenever we're thinking in our right mind those reasons to commit sin are no good. They don't do any good. They don't cause it. They don't tempt us because we're not drawn away. And I'm sure he would have said the same thing. But in the moment when he was there and when that temptation was in front of him, those reasons and those, those excuses she wanted him to make to commit sin started to become a lot more reasonable. They started to make a lot more sense. As we go back and look, and verses 16, 17-ish, she's telling him that she's, I've decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, with carved works, with fine linen of Egypt. 
I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Verse number 19, she says, For the good man is not home. He has gone a long journey. He ain't coming back until this day. And when we're not drawn away, when we're not tempted, we're going, Lady, I don't care. Go home. I don't want nothing to do with you. But when you're drawn away and you're tempted, no matter what that sin is, you're going, Cinnamon. <laughs> I want the cinnamon. I love cinnamon. She's got fine linen from Egypt. This is great. I think we probably can all identify with that as well. When you're there in the moment, those reasons that are really very insignificant start to seem like, oh, that, this is a good deal. It's because you've been drawn away. We're pulled away from our right mind. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away, when he's pulled away and enticed. I want you to remember three things as we look at the next uh, couple handfuls of verses here. Number one is you will fail. We, we will sin. We have committed sin we didn't want to commit in the past. And unfortunately, we're not perfect and, and we will fail. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus says to the disciples, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. Jesus says, you need to be careful about temptation. You need to watch and pray. I don't even want you to enter into temptation. I don't want you to be drawn away. I want you to be thinking in the right mindset. Because as soon as you enter into that temptation, all those silly and significant reasons start to become more and more reasonable in your mind. And the flesh is weak. If we allow them into our mind, we're going to allow them to overcome us. We will fail. But on the other side of that, sometimes Satan wants us to be confident. I don't know if you've recognized this in your life, but I have certainly recognized this in my life. You, you're, you're going along, you're, man, everything's going great. Ah, I probably don't need to study today. Oh, I, don't, I probably don't need to do this. I forget to pray because things are going so well. And that's when Satan strikes. In 1 Corinthians 10, a very uh, common scripture we read about temptation says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You need to be careful. Because as soon as you think you've got it all under control, as soon as you start to not rely on God and start to rely on yourself because you're so good and you're, you're not going to commit this sin, I, I know I'm not. He says, take heed, that's exactly when you're going to fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. I've found that every time in my life, whenever I start to get confident and fail again, that you can go back to this verse right here. You start to think that you're the one standing on your own might and on your own power. It's not a conscious thought at all, but it's one that is subconscious. We, we start to get confidence in ourselves whenever, we, whenever we're doing well, whenever we're not giving in to temptation. We forget that God is the one who is faithful. We forget that God is the one who won't allow us to be tempted above that we're able. And we forget that God is the one who makes the way of escape. I wonder... 
if we forget all about God altogether, is there a way to escape? If we don't have God in our mindset, if we start to think that we're the ones standing on our own, then that way of escape at least becomes significantly smaller. Thirdly, I want you to recognize that you prepare your own soil condition. That'll make more sense whenever we read what I consider the greatest parable in the scriptures in Matthew 13 and 3 where uh, Jesus says, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside. The fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth. And forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when, he was, and when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root. They withered away and some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit. He says there later on as he explains the parable in verse number 19. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. But he that receives seed in the stony places, the same is he that heareth the word and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet he hath no root, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation and persecution ariseth, because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among thorns is he that heareth the word. And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receives seed in the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, and also which also beareth fruit. If you've heard this parable before, as I'm sure many of you have, you, you recognize that the soil that we read of here, this ground that Jesus mentions, is your heart. And we will either take the words that God has left for us and we'll, we'll sow that in our hearts or we'll allow Satan to come in and sow his wickedness in our hearts. We'll sow the word in our hearts or else we'll allow persecution and tribulation and troubles to come in and steal it. Or we'll sow the word in our hearts. Or we'll let the cares of the world and we'll let deceitfulness of earthly possessions come in and steal the word out of our hearts. But at the end of the day, you and I prepare the soul condition. It's not that I'm just either good ground or I'm thorny ground or I'm stony ground and I can't change it. We we prepare our own soul conditions. And so I urge you to sow the word in your heart. And finally, here in Romans chapter 13, where it says there, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. If it's not the, it's absolutely one of the greatest deterrents to sin that the scriptures have to offer us. And as we examine this scripture, we're going to look at this for a few more minutes here before we close. And, and we're not going to focus a ton on the first half of that scripture where it says, Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. But for this sermon today, I want to focus on the second half. And make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. You know, I've read this verse a lot of times, as I'm, as I'm sure you have as well. And just like I found out every time I read a verse, 
five years later, something magically, I'm going, oh, I, I just didn't even pay any attention to that at all for years. And I always just assumed that the word provision meant, you know, easy opportunity. Don't make easy opportunities to sin. And I thought, okay, great. I can try to do that. But I think it means more than that. I've always, I've heard the word occasion used. Don't make any occasion for the flesh and to fulfill the lust thereof. Don't make it where there's a chance that you can commit that sin. And I think those things are true. I think they're right. But I think the scripture goes a little bit further than that. It means a little bit more than that. And so if we look at the word provision that's used here in Romans 13, uh, the, the definition of that basically in the Greek is provident care or supply. The scripture says, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provident care or supply for the flesh. So obviously the word provident, the word provision, they both come from the same base word that you and I would use as provide. Don't provide the flesh. So don't provide care or supply to the flesh. Whenever I thought of the word provide, who, who's, who's been the number one provider in my life? And obviously as we grow up, our parents provide every single thing we need, don't they? Why? Because they care for us. This is the kind of care that, that's being warned against here in Romans 13. A kind of care for the flesh where, where you start to supply for it and provide for it. That's the kind of care that we read about. You know, my parents had the, same, the, the amount of care for me growing up that they wanted to supply my needs. And they wanted to provide for me. When I needed food, they fed me. When I needed something to drink, they drank me. <laughs> whenever, whenever I needed clothes, they put clothes on me. They provided for me and they cared for me. They supplied my needs. And the teaching here is don't provide care for the flesh. Don't provide supplies for the flesh that are going to allow the flesh to commit those sins. And we, we see an example here in 1 Timothy 5 and verse number 8. Um, so another point I might make. The word provision here, and I've already forgot, so if you've got a Strong's you can look. It, the word provision we see here is, is used in the New Testament very, very few times. Um, but the base word of that is the same word we see here in 1 Timothy 5 and 8. But if any provide not for his own, and, spe and specially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. It's the same kind of providing that we read about here. That we're supposed to provide for our family. And we're supposed to give them provident care and supplies that they need. I think that's the number one way we see this same kind of example in our in our day-to-day -day life. Um, but one that I thought was really interesting that, that Brother Jackson brought out in his sermon, and I'd like to expand on just a little bit, is a farmer and a crop, which is why I've had this, uh, this plant here being held uh, in the background of, of the PowerPoint. And whenever you look at, look at it through the lens of, of Romans chapter 13, verse number 8, it starts to become really clear. And so we, we sit back with our sins, and we... Just like that, that young, stubborn, ignorant man in Proverbs chapter 7. And we go, I don't want to do that. I hate that sin. I ain't never going to do it again. It's the worst thing in the world. If I had one wish, it would be that that sin would fall off the face of the earth. And I'd never have to deal with it. Nobody would have to deal with it. And then you find yourself giving into that temptation again, committing that sin again. And you go, why did I do that? Why, why would I do that? What, what, 
what made me do that? I didn't even want to do that. And I've done it. Well, I think it's because we've made provision for the flesh. We've given it a, 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 the perfect scenario to fulfill and to conceive in our life. So when a farmer gets ready to plant a crop, as, as Pappy's been doing with our wheat, uh, with the wheat pasture that, that he has for the cattle, you know, it's not like you go throw seeds out there and go, I hope, hope we have some kind of crop. They give it providential care and supply. And so he's going to go out there in the summer and he's going to plow up all the weeds. He might chisel it to, to, to get the earth uh, jumbled up. I'm not a farmer. And he, then he comes along later whenever the weeds are growing and he brings the sweet plow and he kills all the weeds again and gets the bed perfect for that wheat. Then he comes along later and he plants the wheat. But he doesn't just do it any old time. He waits till the perfect time when it's rain, when there's moisture, when he's going to give it the best chance to succeed. And he plants that seed. He comes along later and he fertilizes it because he wants it to grow to the best of its potential. And a lot of farmers are going to come along later and they're going to, uh, they're going to irrigate that crop because it doesn't rain enough and we need it to grow to the best of its potential. They provide for the crop. They give it the care that it needs and they give it all the supplies possible. You know, I'm guessing he's been planting wheat on the hill for, I don't know how long, so I'm going to say decades. And there's not been a single time, a single year, in which he drove up on the hill one day and went, oh my goodness, we got wheat this year. How in the world did that happen? Because he was providing for it and caring for it. Yet we, time and time again in our lives, we don't want to commit this sin. But secretly over here, we're, we're creating the perfect scenario in which to commit it. And we take that seed of sin and we plant it. We smooth it out and we keep all the weeds away from it. And we water it and we fertilize it. And we let it grow. And then when we finally give in, we finally fail to it, we turn around and go, oh my goodness, how, why did I do that? Why did this happen? I didn't want to do that. I hate that. Romans 13, 14 says, Make no provision for the flesh. Don't give it any chance. If it's something in your life, get rid of it. If it's someone in your life, get rid of them. If it's a place you go, don't go there. It seems simple right now. We're not tempted. It seems simple right now. We're not drawn away. We go out in our day-to-day -day lives. How much better of a tool is that when you're tempted and when you're drawn away and those silly reasons make more sense out in the world? I don't want cinnamon right now. You get out in the world and you see that temptation, you go, cinnamon. I want the cinnamon. Make your provision for Christ. What would happen if we, did this, if we gave the same care to Christ sometimes that we give to that little pet sin, that we give to our gossip, or that we give to our deceitfulness, or that we give to our other issues? What if we took the Word of God and we, we gave it that much care? If we planted Jesus in our hearts and we gave it the perfect bed and we kept all the weeds back away from it, and we watered it, and we fertilized it, and we irrigated it. 
as we close this afternoon, I want to show you a picture that Sister Jenny shared on her Facebook this last week. If you're friends with her, you probably saw it. And I thought it was rather cool. I don't know if it applies 100%, but I liked it, and I'm going to talk about it. It says, The eagle does not fight the snake on the ground. It picks it up into the sky and changes the battleground. And then it releases the snake into the sky. The snake has no stamina, no power, no balance in the air. It's useless, weak, and vulnerable, unlike on the ground where it's powerful, wise, and deadly. Take your fight into the spiritual realm by praying. And when you're in the spiritual realm, God takes over your battles. Don't fight the enemy in his comfort zone. Change the battlegrounds like the eagle and let God take charge through your earnest prayer. You'll be assured a clean victory. I thought that was really cool. And I think it applies to Romans chapter 13 and verse number 14. Make no provision for the flesh. If you want to win a clean battle against Satan, if you want to win a clean battle against your desires, if you don't want to be dragged by your own desires and your own lust, then don't go on his turf. It's exactly what the young man, the young ignorant man did in Proverbs chapter 7. He went the wrong way. Isn't it, isn't it crazy that, that one different turn, and I dare say he does not commit sin that night. One, one different turn, and he doesn't even have to hear the temptation. It's not even a thought. It's not even an option. I think it may be, for some people, the greatest deterrent to sin. Make no provision for the flesh. It may be easier said than done for you. I think it is easier said than done. But when you think about it, like providential care and supply, don't give it that much care. Don't give that sin and that, those issues care and supply that they need. And it can't grow. It won't grow. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.